Welcome everybody to the Short-Term Rental University podcast. And on this episode, I'm pleased to feature my friend, James Posner, who's a mindful advantage expert, a guru, and he's gonna help us reduce our stress running our day-to-day lives and our business so that we can achieve our why. Welcome to the STRU podcast, your number one online hosting community, helping you achieve your goals through short-term rental investing. Now here's your host, Richard Ferdig. All right, friends, I'm really pleased to introduce you to a friend of mine, a fraternity brother of mine, and affectionately known as my main man, Jim Posner. Jim, <laughs> Thanks. welcome to the podcast. Thank Thanks for Definitely. taking the time. Pleasure to be here, of course. So I want to just start off by telling everybody that I've known this gentleman for 30 some odd years, right? 1987? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, 30 years. You were in my wedding I was in your wedding in the Dominican Republic. We've spent a lot of time together. Yep. Um, as our lives have uh, evolved, we've spent less time, but there's always time to reconnect. And one of the most recent uh, things that I'm very grateful for is as you started launching your business that we'll talk about the Mindful Advantage, you came in and spoke to Charles and myself and a couple of other team members at my other business, Brilliant Transportation. And to be very uh, direct, you know, I was interested, but I also wanted to help you out. Uh, I had heard a little bit about it, didn't know too much about it, and didn't really think too much of it. That said, although I didn't uh, pursue it to the levels or the depths that you have, it's really been helpful for me. And um, so I appreciate you, and I want to thank you for like helping me and hopefully everyone else that you're working with. Um, but by way of introduction, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background, make sure that you draw on your real estate experience and um, finance experience, because I don't want everybody to just assume that we found like the foremost mindfulness expert and that's the end all <laughs> be all. Like you've had a n- remarkable journey and yeah. that's part so of the story. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my journey into mindfulness and uh, I think it is a pretty in- interesting one and uh, compelling as well. As, as you stated, you know, uh, we both went to Cornell, and when I graduated Cornell, I thought I was going to, you know, take the business world by storm and, uh, and just crush it out in the business world. Well, can I tell you something? Yeah. You actually did. You know, you may not know this, but when we graduated Cornell, I think you were probably the fastest, most successful friend of ours out of yeah, everyone. It's, it, it's true, actually. I, I did. I... Uh, I ended up starting my own business. I started a construction company. And the way I learned about construction is because I, the first job that I had out of college was in real estate. And if you are in real estate and managing real estate, you have to actually learn quite a bit about construction. So I kind of parlayed my real estate job into a construction career. And I started a construction business and it was very successful. Um, and you know, I still have some real estate that uh, is is uh, providing some income for me at this moment. Uh, I know, you know, that's what you're doing these days with your short. That's been a great investment for universe. you. It's been I unbelievable. Mean, I know the I know the apartment and I know yeah. the numbers and it goes yeah. back and decades. To, to now. your point, to your point, that was uh, one of my first successes. I actually was able to buy a couple of apartments in Manhattan and. Uh, I was living in one and I was basically living for free because the rental income that the, the second apartment uh, threw off more than covered my mortgage and, uh, and my maintenance. So it was an amazing investment. So yeah, the power of real estate. Uh, and like I said, so my real estate career kind of 
pointed me in the direction of construction. I had this opportunity that presented itself to, to, to start a construction company with a partner, and uh, it went really, really well. But an interesting thing happened uh, while I was doing that construction. I got bit by the Wall Street bug. And can I just interject one thing? Because I yeah. knew you through this time. Sure, and sure. I think it's important and probably part of the journey, and, and you may not think of it, but I think you also found that particularly stressful, right? There was a really good part of the job, but there was parts of the job that the, you didn't really like. The, the or construction. The construction yes. job, right? So yeah. you were interested in Wall Street, and so like you did that. But it was also like you had run your course in the construction. It was stressful, I and I don't know whether it was the hours or the amount yeah. of money or the actual no. job itself. But like in and of itself... That ran its course. Right. It ran its course, and I got bit by the Wall Street bug. Uh, while I actually was doing the construction, I, I was started to day trade. This was the beginning of you know, E-Trade and online trading accounts. It was back 1998, 99, and the internet bubble was just expanding. And quite frankly, I was able to take a little bit of money and turn it into a lot of money by essentially swing trading, which is not the same as day trading. Day trading is you're in and out in one day. Swing trading is, you know, a little bit longer term, maybe the time frame of a few days or a few weeks. And uh, while I had my construction job, I'd walk from one meeting to a job site. Uh, and on the way, I'd stop at a bank that had a Bloomberg terminal and check my, my stock quotes. This was before smartphones. So, you know, uh, I was kind of walking around the city and day trading and checking my portfolio uh, between job sites. So it was interesting, but I really got bit by this bug and I decided that, you know what, I want to uh, pursue this as a, as a career. So I got a job as a market maker with one of the largest market making firms in the country. And of course, the timing was not perfect for me. And um, it was, again, the internet bubble was bursting and I got I was one of the last people hired by this market making company and then layoffs just started to happen uh, after the internet bubble burst and round after round of layoff was going on and then finally my name got called. I got laid off and when I got laid off, it was extra difficult because my wife was pregnant with our first child and this is there's a point to this and this is how I kind of found mindfulness because um, I basically became an anxiety riddled mess when I got laid off. What year was this? This was 2003. Okay. So it was after the internet bubble burst and, uh, you know, Wall Street had completely changed also. Uh, you know, literally, I think 50% of the employees on Wall Street got laid off. I just didn't even have that much experience on Wall Street. I didn't want to go back into construction. So I just thought to myself, God, how am I going to get another job? I don't want to go back to construction. Who's going to hire me? I don't have much experience. There's tons of people that have just gotten laid off with much more experience than me. And, uh, you know, I would just have these constant thoughts and ruminations of, you know, how am I going to pay for my new family? And how am I going to, how much more time do I have before my money runs out? And, uh, so I'd be constantly worrying about the future, and I was, quite frankly, I was pissed off about the recent past. You know, why did I get laid off? Why not that other guy? My boss was a jerk, you know? So I just was unable to be present and think in the present moment, and that's what you hear, that term you hear all the time now, you know, being present. Well, that, that's what it means. Um, we spend so much time worrying about the future or ruminating about the past, and 
And that is actually the definition of stress and anxiety, you know, worrying about the future uh, or ruminating about the past. So if you're the student, you know, maybe you're, how am I, how am I going to, what if I don't do well on the test? Right. You know, what <laughs> if uh, I don't get into this college or uh, why wasn't I invited to this party? So, you know, the student has these uh, ruminations about the future and the past. The, the businessman, you know, what if I don't close the deal? How am I going to, you know, then my boss is going to be mad at me. Um, uh, why did this person say this to me? Why didn't this person return my email? So, you know, we constantly worry about the future and the past, and it's very difficult to be present. So uh, getting back to my job loss, I, you know, I tried a whole bunch of things that typical Western men like to do. Uh, so, you know, I started to drink heavily. That didn't really work. I went to a psychologist who put me in touch with a psychiatrist um, and put me on antidepressants. You know, that didn't really work for me. I know that's a very good and viable solution for a lot of people, but for me, um, you know, it just didn't resonate too well. And, uh, Did it have side effects or it just didn't help? It just didn't help. Okay, you know, so because I, 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 I hear a lot of people yeah. who are on medication that just say, like, I didn't like the way that I felt on it. It wasn't that so much. It just yeah, didn't no, alleviate it, the symptoms. It just didn't. For, exactly. For me, it was a Band-Aid on a much bigger open wound. Right. I felt like it was treating the symptoms and not getting to the root cause of the problem for okay, me. Again, cool. I know it's a good solution for a lot of people, so I don't mean anything disparaging towards that industry. Uh, and then I started to have panic attacks. So one time I had a panic attack that was so bad, uh, I had to go to the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack. And the one good thing that came from that experience was that the emergency room doctor said to me, you know what? 50% of the people I see in here every day are here because of an anxiety attack. So, you know, at least I walked out of there not feeling so bad, not feeling right. like I'm the only one going through this. But I walked out of there and I still just had no place else to turn. And, uh, you know, here I am trying to get a job and I know I looked a mess. I wasn't sleeping. I was constantly worrying. I was drinking heavily. Um, and obviously I was so full of anxiety that I was having panic attacks. And quite frankly, that was one panic attack that was bad enough for me to go to the hospital. But I was kind of having these mini panic attacks quite frequently. Uh, so thankfully, a couple of weeks later, somebody said to me, you should try something called mindfulness-based stress reduction meditation. Just a friend, a colleague? Actually, a family member, Okay, believe it or not. So um, I heard the term meditation and I was just like, you know, I had this image of some weird guy sitting on a mountain you know, with the fog rolling in, in some robes, maybe with a couple of disciples, you know, playing gourds or something. You know, that's what I thought meditation was. I just, you know, it was nothing I would ever have considered doing before. And, and that was kind of the stereotype that came to mind for me. But I was in such a bad place. I just felt like, all right, you know what? Let me give this a try. So I looked into it, made sure I wasn't joining a cult. And, uh, can we just stick with that for a second? Because, yeah. again, I've known Jim for a long time, but the people that are listening to this or watching this don't. You know, Jim is about as um, um, far from anybody who I would think would embrace mindfulness or meditation. You know, grew up in New Jersey, very athletic, very fit, 
um, just not necessarily open-minded historically about sort of like alternative right. medicine, alternative solutions, you know, just very like by the books, right? Like yeah. you, you studied hard, you played hard, you worked hard, you played sports Absolutely. hard, and like that's what you do. Right? Absolutely. But yeah. this counter sort of culture. If anything, I, I would have even, you know, I, I'm somebody that frankly would have even thought that people that used depression as an excuse not to do things or something, you know, were were weak, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but then here I was, I became one of these people that consumed, that was consumed with this anxiety and, and, you know, this event driven depression. Um, and it, it's paralyzing. I mean, it is really, really paralyzing. So, uh, how about your relationship with your wife? Was that, was she like, listen, you super know, super helpful or also unaware of what to do? I mean, I must no, imagine that no, that was, uh, Helpful, but challenging too. Uh, absolutely challenging. You know, here we are. We had, uh, I was laid off. When when I was laid off, again, she was pregnant. And then during my job hunt and this period that I was, you know, drinking heavily and having panic attacks and, um, you know, we had a newborn daughter and, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, my wife knew me well enough to know that I was beating myself up, not because I was unhappy with our relationship or anything like that, but just that I was, you know, not happy with my professional career. And uh, I was, I was basically throwing myself a pity party, you know, I just was really, I, I couldn't, couldn't get over the fact that I'd gotten laid off. And of course, ironically, the layoff had nothing to do with me. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But I, I told myself it did. Right. And I'll get into that in a little bit, but that's where the mindfulness comes in is that, you know, again, this was before LinkedIn and social media, but I did everything that you're not supposed to do in, when I got laid off. I basically, I basically created this wall around myself. You know, I, I, I told myself that I got laid off because I was a failure and, uh, what you should do when these types of events happen is you should you should tell every single person in your family, your network, your friends, hey, I got laid off, you know, uh, let's go have a cup of coffee and talk about opportunities or, you know, help me network and that type of thing. That That's what you should do, you know, well, but... I was laid off. Yeah. I lost a really big job, yeah, a that, very successful yeah. um, job. I ran, a, as you know... A four billion dollar portfolio. We invested in hedge funds all over the world. Yeah, so you can. I was co-head of investments, and I was laying everybody off until one day I got tapped on the shoulder and I got laid off. And I had just an incredible amount of overhead. Um, you know, wife, three daughters, multiple homes, yeah. and um, you know, I can tell you the biggest eye-opening thing about getting laid off for me was how much I identified with the job. Right. Right. Like, and my identity, Richard has nothing to do with a job. Right. A job is a function. And like, so unlike you, and, and we're going to get off me really quickly, but unlike you, I didn't do some of the things that you did. I found myself with a ton of time because nobody was hiring in finance. Right. And so I did a Forrest Gump. Guapo and I started like jogging and started running and running more and getting more and more fit and getting more and more healthy and um, started to think a lot and ultimately decided that, it was unfair for me to expect somebody to hire me if I wouldn't hire myself and then decided that this was my opportunity to be self-employed. 
and that was it, you know. Yeah. But I think it's really important that we di- we show fraternity brothers, same Ivy League institution, you know, both in finance, both in real estate, and yet you took a left and I took a right. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong. No, I'm just saying just people are wired differently. And different at things that happen. moment in time also. It's, exactly. You know what I mean? It's If I maybe had gotten laid off two years later, maybe I would have taken a right instead of a left, you know? It's, and, uh, and so this is one point that I want to just stress to everybody, which is just kind of like, you know, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is about being self-reliant and being optimistic. And here are two guys. We had a great time in college together, great time like after college, great families, great kids, great everything. And we were both laid off, right? So like a job is great, but it's a moment in time. It's an end to like, you know, it's a means to a goal, but it's not us. It doesn't define you. It doesn't define me. And so if, if you get laid off or if you were laid off, the future is bright. You just have to do some homework. And so now yeah. I want to hear. Don't, 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 you know, crawl into the shell and, uh, and, and, and wither away. You know, what you need to do is you need to get yourself out there, network, talk to as many people as you can, uh, and be open-minded also. Don't necessarily, you know, have, have the blinders on and, you know, I, I just want to do this, you know, be open to looking at other other opportunities as well. And you you actually, yeah. Listen, you know, I think you, it's you interesting went in a completely because, different direction. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I was co-head of investments at this uh, $4 billion hedge fund, and both co-heads got laid off on the same day. And my company did a classic move, which was go hire a new guy, blame the you know 2008 world financial depression on like the two old guys and then save some money and hire one guy i mean it's a classic playbook yeah my ex-wife was really really like to this day is angry and bitter and so on and i'm kind of like classic business move like i would pull that move right like i've seen that move i would do it so no hard feelings no resentment like it just happens but i think what's kind of interesting is the other co-head wasn't necessarily open-minded, said, I have to stay in finance, I have to be in hedge funds, I have to do this. Um, And I think he had a couple of opportunities, but at a lower price point, right? Like the world priced down our skill set tremendously. And so if I was making a dollar, maybe the new clearing price is 25 cents, or maybe it's 30 cents. And from what I know, um, the other co-head just was unwilling to like ratchet down. It was so much of his identity. I'm worth a dollar. And so I don't know the exact details of it, but I believe he remained unemployed and searching for employment for years. And in less than a year, I was up and running in an entrepreneurial venture. So to your point, like it is important to be open-minded. It's important to be able to, to pivot and be resourceful. So I'll talk more about, you know, being resourceful in, in a second and how I actually did end up getting back into the workforce because uh, it's interesting. But, you know, so I took this mindfulness-based stress reduction meditation course. And uh, again, I, ha- I felt like I had no other options. So, you know, I, I did a little research on it. Nothing was, to lose. Right. I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And not only am I going to do it, though, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all in. So I took this eight-week course and uh, there's one class every week for eight weeks and they give you homework. What's the homework? Well, you meditate, you know, and they teach you how to meditate and practice mindfulness. And, uh, you know, within weeks I found it to be transformative. And, um, after I finished the course within a couple of months after the course, I stopped seeing the psychologist. I got weaned off the antidepressants by the psychiatrist. I had my drinking under control. I've never had another panic attack in my life. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. I, so 
you know, ever since then, I've been practicing mindfulness and meditating. Uh, but the interesting thing is that I was very much a closet meditator still, because for me, it still had this kind of connotation that people were going to think I'm weird if I told them that I was meditating. And again, to your point earlier, I don't think I fit. Not that there is a, a, a type of person that meditates. There's, you know, all different types, but for me, the stereotype was some kind of maybe weird-looking guy that, you know, and people would think I'm weird if I told them I meditated. But slowly, I started to tell my friends. So, uh, you know, all of whom you know, and without fail, you know, I had people tell me, you know, oh, tell me more about this because last year I had a panic attack or, you know what, there's a reorganization going on at my company right now and I'm really stressed out. So, you know, the light bulb went off. This was after four or five years, and I was working back on Wall Street uh, that I decided, like, you know what? The world really needs this, and especially in this day and age, more than ever before. And why is that? Because we're constantly wired. You know, everybody is tethered to their phone. So the first thing most people do when they wake up in the morning is look at their phone and check their email. The last thing people do before they go to bed is look at their phone and check their email. And most often, it's their work email also. So the old days of, you know, like my father would come home from work and he was home, you know, there were no smartphones, there was no such thing as email, you know, you could, you, ha you shut it off because even if there was something that was screwed up, there was really nothing you could do anyway. Right. So, you know what I mean? It's like, I can't worry about it anyway. And, uh, and that's the way the world functioned. And, you know, now, you know, we have these just constant fight or flight triggers, which, which create a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. So people need to really learn mindfulness to give, their, give themselves a little mental vacation. You know, one of my teachers says, what it really is all about is taking the mental garbage out. And um, so, you know, at, at this time, again, I was back on Wall Street. I, I actually got my new job on Wall Street by standing outside the Mercantile Exchange and handing out resumes, um, again, pre-LinkedIn and all that stuff. So uh, there weren't a lot of jobs to be found. And uh, just so happened that the vice president of human resources was outside smoking a cigarette. And I was just, I was just walking up to, you know, people that I would see come out of the Mercantile Exchange building and uh, I would hand them my resume and, and try to strike up a conversation. And thankfully, he took my resume and, uh, you know, put me, put me in a job uh, that was kind of a low-tier job. But he was like, listen, come in, you're overqualified for this job, but what you will get is you will learn a lot about the commodities industry and uh, you'll move up very quickly. So interesting story. I was basically a price reporter in what at the time were these, you know, cacaf, uh, you know, cacophonous, very noisy there you go. pits <laughs> where the trading went down. Excuse me. Can't talk right now. But, um, you know, so I, I was, you know, the, the people would have these uh, hand signals. I know you spent some time on the floor in Chicago, so you understand. And as a price reporter, I'd have to capture the, the trades that would go on in the ring and report the prices. And interestingly enough, for the first, like, few weeks, nobody would talk to me. And it turns out 
that uh, people thought I was actually an undercover FBI agent <laughs> <laughs> because I did not fit the stereotype or you know fit the the normal uh, um, look of people that were these price reporters. Uh, the price reporters, quite frankly, most of the times, you know, they just were people that didn't go to college or whatever, and uh, they didn't look like me, you know, I, I, a little bit more of a Wall Street looking pedigree. Or, but uh, so finally, you know, I had somebody come and fix my collar once. And later on, like a few months later, he told me he was actually checking me for a wire. I mean, you know, <laughs> so kind of crazy. But in any event, I did end up moving my way out of that job and into a more senior job. I never actually traded again, but I moved up through the compliance ranks and I ended up uh, settling uh, options markets and complex options, calendar spread options and all sorts of options on the energy and metals. And uh, it was an interesting job. But, uh, you know, again, through that time, I knew that I wanted to actually com make a complete shift and teach mindfulness to corporate America. Uh, so, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So, ironically, I got laid off again in, uh, in um, 2015. But this time, you know, I actually have to say that I wanted to get laid off. I uh, had had discussions with my family about starting this business, other friends, and with the layoff this time, I got a nice package. There was, you know, there was a reorg at work. It was nothing to do with me, actually. And, uh, just yeah, no, like I mean, the just like just, the first time around, yeah. you know. Well, for people that don't know, obviously the uh, commodity exchanges and the mercantile exchanges and all that have been disrupted by sort of online, and there's right. no open outcry pits anywhere, and that's a shame because that was, you know, some of my fondest memories. I absolutely loved and enjoyed that, but like, yeah, it was it's, it was it's, insane. It's a dying. It's yeah. dead, actually. It's dead. There yeah, is the no more pits. I don't think the open pits are now closed. Anywhere. Yeah, uh, I think last year they closed like yeah. the last ones. So anyway, so you lost your job again. You were looking yeah. forward to. It. You got a nice package. Yeah, so I got a nice package and it was the opportunity for me to pivot and start this business that I wanted to start. Um, so and for those of us that are just listening and haven't seen the thumbnail, what is the name of the business and the website? It's called The Mindful Advantage and it's themindfuladvantage.com. And I teach smart, forward thinking people and corporations. I've worked with hedge funds. I've worked with athletes. I work with a lot of schools and I've, I work with a lot of C-suite individuals also. I teach them how to use and really harness the power of mindfulness to uh, lower their stress and increase focus and productivity and uh, enhance their uh, problem solving ability and achieve peak performance. Really, mindfulness... But hold on one second. Yeah. You, you just sort of threw that last thing under the... You know, you included it, but like that's key. Peak performance. Yeah. Talk to us about peak exactly. performance, so please. Exactly. So if you can kind of roll it back to my, my story in the beginning, I was constantly ruminating about the past and worrying about the future. Uh, and that's what we as humans do, okay? We constantly do that. And again, that is the definition that I have for stress. When you worry about the future and ruminate about the past, you can't be present. Uh, you know, a good example is you ever read 10 pages in a book and then all of a sudden you kind of are like, wow, what the hell did I just read? Well, that's happened to me a few times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how about you commute from point A to point B, you get to point B and you're like, wow, I don't remember anything in the commute. That's because your mind is wandering. You're thinking about something in the future or something that happened yesterday or a week ago and you're not being present. So 
when you are not being present, you just can't focus and be as productive as you would be able to if you are in the present. Now, if you think about this in a number of different ways, um, again, all those thoughts that you're having about the future and the past, it's essentially all garbage, okay? Most of those things that we worry about don't come to fruition. You know, there's this great Mark Twain quote, most of the worst things in my life have never actually happened to me. Right. So that's what we do as humans. And um, when you can take that mental garbage out, again, I was talking and telling, saying before how one of my teachers refers to this as mental garbage, because that's what it is. Uh, to give you an example, some of the, the science behind this, just so you have an idea of how, many, how much mental garbage there is. So 90 to 95% of our thoughts occur on the subconscious level. So getting back to my story, how am I going to get another job? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to take care of my family? Why did I get laid off? Why not the other guy? You know, those are all thoughts that are constantly circling around and very much on the subconscious level. I mean, I know I'm having them, but they're so, um, you know, so, so prevalent. They're very much on the con uh, subconscious level. Now, 50 to 80,000 thoughts. That's how many thoughts we have per day. So 90 to 95% of our thoughts are on the subconscious level and 50 to 80,000 thoughts per day. All right. So now the scariest part is, is that 80% of our thoughts are negative and recurrent. So, you know, that's why my story is a pretty good illustration of what happens. But, um, you know, I was in an extreme place, but for most people, you know, again, what if I don't close the deal? Then I'm not going to be able to get my commission check or my boss is going to be pissed at me. You know, why didn't this guy email me back? You know, this is what we do to ourselves. So with mindfulness, we're really just training ourselves to take that garbage out, recognize that it's garbage and become present. Um, and we can get into a little exercise for that, uh, in, in a few minutes. Um, um, yeah, so, you know, that's, that's kind of, so here's my question going back to the, the peak performance thing. Oh yeah. Right. First off, just... define for us what peak performance is. So peak performance is really great question. It's really being able to be in the moment, concentrate on the task at hand and, um, again, not let thoughts about the future or the past interfere with the current task at hand. And if you think about it, um, when we take that mental garbage out also, you start to be able to problem solve a lot. But not only can you focus a lot better and be more productive at the task at hand, but you know, you can problem solve better. Why? Because when you take the mental garbage out, it creates all the space for new ideas and new solutions to come in. So, you know, when you start to meditate and practice mindfulness, you start to, 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 to uh, come up with new and interesting and innovative ways to, to solve problems and, uh, and, uh, and so forth. So uh, let me ask you this, yeah. because I think, <clears throat> I think the analogy to sports is really Very easy good. for people. So let's just say that I'm a decent skier, but I'm not going to the Olympics. But if I continue to practice and train at skiing, I'll get better. And I still may never make it to the Olympics. So my peak performance may not be the Olympics, but it might be, you know, whatever. Right. Some other level. <clears throat> Is it similar in your mind? You know, like just because you practice mindfulness doesn't mean that you're going to achieve 
the wildest ambition in the world, but right. you're going to, over time, move towards like whatever the peak that you could achieve is. Is that sort of, does that analogy work in the mind yeah, versus I, the I, body? Absolutely. And again, this is kind of tip of the iceberg mindfulness. And there are, you know, major topics with mindfulness include a mind-body relationship and, um, and you know, a lot of, a lot of other th- interesting things. But so your, your analogy for, for sports is a really good one. I've worked with some athletes. Now, how might this come in handy for a skier? Well, maybe as a skier, you're thinking about your last run and, uh, you know, this one mogul threw me off a little bit or I, I, you know, I screwed up at this gate or, you know, that turn didn't go the way I I wanted it to. And it's going to start to get into your head. You know, this is, you know, I've I've been an athlete my whole life also. And and, uh, this is what happens. You start to overthink things and and ruminate a little bit about what happened the last time down. So with mindfulness, what we're doing is we're training ourselves to just kind of remove those 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 negative thoughts because that's really it is a negative thought and it doesn't mean that you can't learn from the you know the that bad turn you made or you know uh catching the gate you know it doesn't mean that you didn't make a mistake and you need to learn from it that's not what it means but you, you do learn from it you know if you're an athlete if you're in business you learn from your mistakes but what it means is in that moment next time you know what that's not going to trip you up whereas Maybe a lot of times in the past, you know, these things, it's called getting into your head, you know, right. and uh, and what mindfulness is, is a really powerful, it's a tool. It's a powerful tool to help you just overcome that, that uh, from happening again. Well, one of the things that, um, and I started this podcast off by saying that Jim was kind enough to come in and, and work with my team at Brilliant Transportation, including Charles. And I think that the very first thing, you know, on a, on a more granular level, because right now this is all very sort of superficial and it, it's very theoretical, but I think one of the things that you taught us, you know, was a very simple exercise, was just like recognize when your mind goes to a negative place or a negative thought, right? So like identifying the fact that you're beginning to worry or beginning to stress or beginning to like think a negative thought. Like the first part of, of fixing a problem is recognizing that you have a problem, right? So it's like it's in awareness. your mind. Recognizing it's mindfulness is really, it's another word for awareness. So, you know, I like to say it's awareness of our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. As you get deeper and deeper into this practice, it's, you know, it's not just your thoughts, you know, it, it's your your feelings, your emotions that are associated with all of those thoughts that come up, uh, sensations in the body. Again, a lot of stress manifests itself in the body, you know, uh, back aches and neck pain, uh, people, you know, you, you feel it in your gut, people grind their teeth. So awareness of sensations in the body, awareness of the breath, awareness of your surroundings, you know, and that's kind of deeper, you know, but it starts out with awareness of your thoughts, no doubt. Um, so one of the s- most powerful things you can do is just take the time throughout the day to just say, all right, you know, what am I thinking about right now? And just kind of check in with your thoughts and then label the thought. So, you know, you can catch yourself worrying about something and just say, you know what, I'm worrying about this right now. And then escort your attention 
to your breath. And the interesting thing about escorting your attention to your breath when you do that is that, of course, over time, we've all learned how to breathe incorrectly. We've unlearned how to breathe. We, learn, we, we kind of take these short breaths into our chest. And um, so one thing that we need to do is, is relearn how to breathe. And, and, and the, the proper way to breathe is to breathe into your diaphragm. So, uh, you know, have you ever seen a baby in a crib, right? It's like their diaphragm is just going up and down, up and down. And breathing into your chest can actually create more anxiety. Sometimes it makes you feel like you're not getting enough air and can actually create a panic attack. So, you know, one little quick exercise you can do is you can put one hand on your chest and one hand on your diaphragm and you just kind of want to sit and in decent posture. It doesn't have to be perfect. And just a hand on your, on your belly should move in and out. And the hand on your chest really shouldn't move all that much. And it takes practice. Is as we do it, it's just calming to like yeah. put your well, like so just, the, just to do this, just knowing that like I'm trying it, I find right. it like soothing. Right. So, you know what? There's so much science behind what I'm talking about. Also, you know. Cortisol levels drops. Cortisol is your st the stress hormone. Uh, you know, by breathing properly and training yourself to breathe properly into the diaphragm, uh, you can lower uh, your blood pressure. You can lower uh, um, hypertension, uh, your heart rate, all of these things. You know what? Also, when you're getting back to athletes, when you're more relaxed, you're most likely going to perform better on you know uh, for that next ski run. So it's not only just about being in the present, but it's also teaching yourself how to, you know, breathe properly. So there's all these kind of different levels, this, you know, awareness of your breath, awareness of your thoughts. Um, but, you know, a really good way to just start out with the practice, again, is work on that little breathing exercise and sit there and, you know, notice your thoughts. And when your thought wanders to something about I don't know how many people have ever had an argument with their significant other or, you know, or, or spouse in, in your head. You know, it's like, ah, oh, when I get home, I know my wife's going to say this and, you know, da, 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 da. And most of the time it doesn't even happen, you know, but this is what we do to ourselves. We have these thoughts or you worry about what your boss is going to say to you, you know. So you just sit there and when you recognize that your mind has gone to that conversation with your boss, you just say, all right, you know what? I'm worrying about a conversation with my boss. Let me just bring my attention back to my breath. So you just literally label what's going on in your head. What does that do? Well, it brings it out of the subconscious. Remember I always said 90 to 95% of our thoughts are on the subconscious level. Once you start labeling your thoughts and bringing awareness to them, that's what enables you to move through them. And that's what helps you to get past them. So again, Back to my story, which I know a lot of people can relate to. How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get a new job? You know, before I learned mindfulness, those thoughts would just completely consume me and, and own me. Now, it, I, if my mind starts to go to these negative places, I, just, I would just say, all right, I'm worried about getting a new job. And then I'd bring my attention back to my, my breath and breathing properly. 
And breathing properly is healthy. It helps you oxygenate your body better. It helps with your immune system. Again, more scientific uh, benefits of mindfulness, increasing the immune system because you're tending to your breath and breathing properly. Uh, less stress, less anxiety, obviously healthier. Um, but that's what helps you be present. And it takes practice. You know, it, it's, it's not easy. But, but what I was going to comment on is um, we started the conversation earlier where you were saying the first time you got laid off, you weren't sleeping, you were stressed, you were drinking a lot, and you were a mess. And, like, it's no wonder you didn't get a job because you were, like, this walking zombie or something. Whatever <laughs> Absolutely. Were, I don't want to, like, insult you. No, but, no. That's, but I you, was. But you weren't really employable. Even though there I, were no jobs or whatever, like, oh, you the, wouldn't hire yourself. I, like, I, I, that's, I, I often say exactly the same thing. I, I must have, you know, I looked like hell, you know. So Who the hell would hire So me? even <laughs> though you can have those same thoughts, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do this? How am I going to get a job? Just focusing on your breathing and taking it out of the subconscious and identifying it and lowering the cortisol or whatever the science is that you just talked about may make it so that you don't have the panic attack and you sleep well and you're healthy and now you go in for that same job interview and instead of being a detriment to yourself, you might be your peak performing self in Absolutely. that interview. You may not get the job, right. they may not hire you, but it's not because you're your own worst enemy. Right. I'm going to be much calmer. Uh, you know, one thing I often say to people that are in sales, I t work with a lot of companies in, in sales, it's, you know, you do... If you meditate for five or ten minutes before you go in to have that sales meeting and you kind of clear your mind, well, the chances are when that prospective client has a question for you, you know, instead of coming up with that same bottled answer, you know, you're going to come up with a, maybe a unique answer in the moment that uh, is, is going to put you in a much better position to close that deal. Also, you know, you're going to be more grounded and another big benefit of mindfulness is communication. Um, you know, and this present moment awareness. People that you are with pick up on on that fact that you are present for them, and the likelihood of you closing that deal is is most likely much higher. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going into an interview. I mean, I'm selling myself. So, same thing holds true. Uh, most likely. I'm going to connect. That's really the word there. So, you know, I'm most likely going to connect a lot better um, if I'm practicing mindfulness than I would if I wasn't. And why? Also, because if you're not, you're scattered brain. You know, you're 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 thinking. You're maybe you're trying to think three questions ahead, or oh my god, I can't believe I just gave this answer. Well, it's it's like insecurity versus self confidence. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So you're coming in, and you, and um, I, I think. One of the things that I learned from the time that we spent together was sort of first identifying it, so taking it from the subconscious to the conscious, and then I don't know if this is just my interpretation of it or how I use it or like a more advanced teaching that, you know, if people want to contact you, they know how to find your website, themindfuladvantage.com. Yes. That right? With the, the first? Themindfuladvantage.com. The, yeah. Perfect. Um, but what I've, you know, where I am now, and I, I don't actually practice mindfulness on a daily basis. I do some transcendental meditation from time to time. I spend time at the gym, which is really good for me and my mind. And then I spend time in the steam bath and I, I, I find time to like, I, I carve out time for myself, right? right. Like I, I make that quiet time. But 
what I find is when I have these negative thoughts, the very first thing I do is I identify that I'm worried or thinking negatively. Then I stop. And then I say, what is the opportunity in that negative thought? And then I start to focus uh, on that same thought from a positive perspective. That works for me, and that might be counter to your it's not, it's teaching not or approach, but like, it's, uh, that's just so helpful for yeah, me. But you, you've trained yourself to bring awareness to how you're feeling at the moment and the thoughts that are creating those feelings at the moment. You know, <clears throat> um, what I often say is, is quite simply, before I practiced mindfulness, my thoughts, feelings, emotions you know, used to control me. Now, through mindfulness, I control my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. That's great. And Hold if on. You th- Repeat that again. Just yeah. so the before and then the after. Before that's heavy. I was able to practice, before I practiced mindfulness, my thoughts, feelings, and emotions used to control me. I mean, they could take me from zero to 100, you know, to panic and anxiety and all those places uh, in no time. But now, because I practice mindfulness... I control my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions. And if you think about that, to your point of a second ago, that is probably one of the most powerful things that you could really ask for, is the ability for you to be able to control your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions instead of them having control over you. So now bringing, and and I think that's just incredibly powerful, And that's similar in concept to a business practice that I espouse, which is that instead of working for my assets, like I have to go get a second job and a third job and I need to make more money and I need a bigger W-2 and I need all this to get that house and the bigger house and all of that stuff. Instead of working for my assets, I'm consciously making the decision to have my assets work for me. I want passive streams of income of my assets that I've been working my butt off to start to return back to me so that I am free to do the things that I want to do in the form of adventure and life experience and travel and spending time with my kids. And so it's the same sort of thing, right? Like we know we live here in New York City um, and we know tens, dozens, hundreds, thousands of people that are basically slaves to their job and their lifestyle and their work and their money and so on and so forth. And I'm just sort of personally, not personally saying, you know what? I have enough assets and everything else that I want. Let me take temperature of what's important to me right now. And I want to make those assets work for me. They work for me, not me for them. Right. Right. But in your own mind and body, it's just incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're, you're in the process of creating, you know, something you've with, with, with what you're doing now, uh, you know, big online presence and um, uh, short-term rental university. And it's not easy to do that, you know, and it takes a lot of work and it's the mental game. You know, there's a lot of, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk always is talking about the mental game and, uh, you know, that's what mindfulness really can do for you. It's really help you with that mental game because when you're trying to, create something new and start something on your own, you know, it's hard, <laughs> right? It's very hard. It's hard. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. There's a lot of rejection. Um, it's just not, it's not easy. Uh, 
and can, there are, can we stick on there that are a lot of days because where, I was just you, having there are a lot of days when you doubt yourself so it's I, I would I would say um, I was just having a conversation with somebody that based on what you and I are doing being entrepreneurs and and creating um, companies from scratch and and so on I think it's glamorous today Gary Vaynerchuk goes off on that a lot too and it's not for everybody but it's also viewed as sort of like easy or you have to be lucky or you have to have the right skill set or it's like the right place at the right time it's like being an actor in Hollywood sort of thing it's like a lottery and and the reality of it is based on all of that I think it's almost the opposite like I almost think being a lawyer or being a doctor is really easy because it's linear now, yes. you have to do hard work. Oh, you have yeah. to be smart. And you have yeah. to be intelligent. You have to we're, study. We're not taking anything away yeah. from you have to be intelligent and work hard. And but that, that's pretty easy because it's prescribed. Here, Jim, you want to be a lawyer? Here's the formula. There's no secrets. Right. Right? You want to be a mindfulness life coach, peak performance? You want to be uh, helping people in short-term rental university? How, where, why, when, what do I do first? What do I do second? How do I know if I'm succeeding? How do I not, right? It's, like, it's hard it, to it's quantify. Complete, and, it, and it literally, to your point, comes down to, I believe, um, mindfulness, confidence, self-reliance, celebrating small milestones that people don't understand. You know, Charles and I celebrated when we got a subscriber and a second subscriber. And then we celebrated when we got a like. And then we celebrated when we got a comment. And then we celebrated when somebody clicked our first affiliate link. And I remember telling my girlfriend that it was one of the most proud days I'd ever had in my business career. And I ran a $4 billion portfolio. Amazon sent me $1.74. That's like my favorite number in the world. $1.74. Charles and I celebrated it because somebody... We reached somebody, we had influence, they trusted us, they clicked a book that we recommended, and Amazon sent me $1.74. Could you imagine a grown man with two Ivy League? You know, I'm the only Wharton MBA who celebrates $1.74. But, but uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, no, I, I think you, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, for me, I, I get a lot, you know, it sounds corny, but I get a lot of joy when people send me emails and say the tools that I taught them have helped change their life. Uh, and I get... It doesn't sound corny in the least. I get a lot... I, I, yeah. I, I, but my, my point, the part that might sound corny, is I, I actually really want to try to change the world with every single person that I teach a little bit. And that's probably the, the corny part. As do I. It's not but, corny in the least. It's but, just it's a different goal, yeah. right? Like, if I told Jim... At Delta Chi in 1990, that that's what you would say? You'd say, no, that's not what I want. But that's the beautiful thing about a journey and being self-aware and present and checking in with yourself. Like, yeah. We mature. With age comes wisdom, right? It's, uh, journey is the key, man, because it it's, it's definitely it's a journey. And uh, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been fun and interesting, no doubt. And that's a, worth, a life worth living. So here's what I'm going to say. Um, if people want to contact Jim for more information, themindfuladvantage.com. Yes. Um, you have blogs and videos yeah, so there and a YouTube I have, channel. I have a couple of things. Uh, so you can email me at Jim Posner, J-I-M-P-O-S-N as in Nancy E-R, Jim Posner at themindfuladvantage.com. Uh, another interesting uh, product I have going on um, is – 
something called the Don't Panic Project. And it's, in, it's, a, it's a whole bunch of engaging conversations to help empower, inspire, and educate people that are stu- suffering from stress, anxiety, and depression. So conversations with psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, pulmonologists, uh, neuroscientists, uh, happiness experts, people that have suffered intense, intense depression and anxiety. I have one interview with a guy that uh, in one year had 40 trips to the emergency room because of panic attacks. So the concept is that I just want to put out this information for people that have stress and anxiety and depression, and they can watch these interviews and, you know, learn just all different techniques. And hopefully one of those techniques will work, you know, for them. Conversations with, uh, you know, just a whole myriad group of, of different people. So is that a website or is That's, that a YouTube uh, channel it's, or both? It's www.thedontpanicproject.com. And it's, uh, if you type that in, it'll take you to my website and the tab there. And there's a whole bunch of interviews. Cool. And uh, a lot of those interviews are also up on YouTube. So cool. Some interesting stuff. So I want to um, just say... Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. We're now going to go on Facebook Live for the people that are in the bachelor's track and also in the master's track of Short-Term Rental University. We're going to get a little bit more granular and give some like things that they should be doing and and just test the waters because I know that with the introduction when you came to uh, my company, just starting to think about it and just putting some of these things in practice and even though I didn't get fully educated, um, it was super helpful and um, you know, I just, I can't thank you enough for, for helping me in that regard. You're very welcome, man. My pleasure. You know it. My man. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So I hope you guys found this interesting and helpful. Please go visit the Don't Panic Project. The Don't Panic Project and the mindfuladvantage.com. And this man knows exactly what he's talking about. He's living proof of it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Have a great day. And one other thought as it relates to short-term rentals. It is a stressful business. Who's coming into my house? Are they going to tear this up? What's going to happen? I didn't like the answer. There's a million insecurities that you're going to face on a daily basis. And the reason that we're introducing you to mindfulness and to the concept of being like self-reliant and entrepreneurial is that you need to figure out healthy ways to deal with all this so that you can achieve your why. You can't burn out. You can't stall. You can't turn to drinking. You can't be a mess. You have to be like present and available and get through it all. And if this tool is helpful, great. If it's not helpful, let's find you another tool. But we really want to make sure that you've got the right like team and support in place so that you can actually achieve your why because it's a long game. Success, this isn't overnight. This isn't about like making fast money. This is about like putting in the time and the energy, giving you the tools, the resources, and the support to see you the whole way through. Amen. Well said. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. So that does it for another episode of the STRU podcast. As always, all links mentioned are in the show notes below. And if you found this show helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. If you're serious about short-term rental investing, be sure to check out str.university. Till next time.